Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, halflings. Welcome back. Uh, I am Jasper William Carwright. And I'm Leander Nati lewis but everybody calls me Unati. And I'm Jeremy Cobb, but there are some who call me Tim. <laughs> and I'm James Mendez Hodes, but there are some Woo! who call me James Mendez Hodes. That they're both ah. correct, actually. <laughs> I just wanted to—I just wanted that to clarify that because you've been using the other one. Um, no, that was yeah. me. That no, was no, me. it's fine. No, my my grandfather pronounced it Hodes, but my father pronounced it Hodes. Hodes. Okay. Ah. Well, yeah. I'm I, I'm eternally sorry, and I'm gonna say Hodes. Both, now both, on. both correct. Both correct. Seriously. Oh my god! You will come to terms with your own weakness! Full Prince vibe? Focus on your task! Just shut your mouth! No one is interested! You think this is just a game? Let's make them even more black! We're about to get into something real big now. So, we are back with another episode, and I am so excited to welcome James Mendes Hodes uh, to the show to talk all things D&D with us. Uh, First of all, James, how are you? And thank you so much for being here. I'm well. I'm excited to be here. I, as I, as I was mentioning in the in the pre-show, I'm I'm very intimidated by how witty y'all are, and I've been I've been telling myself I got to be really funny today. I got to bring my A game. I got to think yeah. of the most wittiest things to say. And we all know how how well it works when you try really hard to be funny. So uh, please, uh, uh, this show is like the original Star Wars. It's just saved in edit. Yeah, literally, literally. <laughs> the actual the actual raw recording. Oh, is just we record normally for hours and hours, and eventually we get like an like forty minutes worth of, of something decent. So no. Well, no I, I cleared my I cleared my afternoon for this just in case. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> um, but I think uh, first of all, I want to start out by saying thank you so much. We have enjoyed talking about mm-hmm. these articles uh, and your work generally so much. Um, I think as well one thing that really stood out for me when we discussed them is like how personal all of these felt and how like heard we all felt uh, I think we said it several times uh, the fir- one of the first times that whilst engaging with D&D and uh, fantasy culture that we really felt listened to and like yes that's so what like I, get- I relate to that so much for me, that is that is the best thing to hear because I, I get a lot of responses to these articles, and and one of the things that happens every week is someone who I've never met, who I've never heard of, randomly emails me out of the blue or comments on the article or gets a friend to introduce them to me or something like that, and I get all kind this huge range of really different responses, and a lot of them are coming from a, a pretty non personal perspective. And I'm I'm re- still really happy to get them, but when I speak to someone, when I speak to someone who reads an article and the article resonated on some very personal level for them, that's really special for me. Mm. Because one of the things that I'm trying to do in these articles is refocus people not on ideas and coming up with logical or reasonable or academic approaches to these concepts, but to ground them in people's real experience. And so when I hear mm. the kinds of responses that y'all had in, in those past two podcasts, those really, really touched me. 
So yeah, well, thank I'm you. Glad. I'm glad. Yeah, to hear I'm that. really glad. That's Great. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you got a squee. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> um, but that is super. Uh, I want. I wanted to say when I. I don't think I said it on the show. Um, but I, upon reading those articles for the first time, immediately sent them to one of my friends, because she's. Uh, I'd been talking to her about a lot of those exact same issues, and she's uh, white and had never, like, didn't really have the frame of reference to be able to understand what I was talking about. Yeah. And I was like, "See, see, this is what I mean." Uh, <laughs> she tells about the articles, uh, and she doesn't listen to the show. I don't know. We're still friends. <laughs> I felt better. <laughs> but- but that's exactly it, though. It gives us a weapon to use, you know? It gives us something that we can go, look, look, this is genuine research. Like, it, like this is what we've been talking about that for was, so long. <laughs> that was precisely the intent of these articles. One of, the, one of the reasons that I made these was that I heard so often from friends of mine in marginalized spaces on the internet that they'd been having this same conversation over and over, and it was like a recurring dream for them. And mm. I, I kept thinking, I also seem to have these conversations over and over. And if I sat down and focused long enough to write a long enough to write a, say, I don't know, 12,000 word article, <laughs> it would actually save time for me and other people in the long run, because mm-hmm. instead of instead of having to have an argument uh, someone could come at them on Discord or Twitter or something like that, and they could just say, read this, and then get back to me. And in that yeah. sense, the fact yeah. that the articles are way too long and wordy is actually sort of an asset, because it gives you a little <laughs> bit of extra time to go, oh, refresh your tea yeah. before you go back to talk to this yeah. person. <laughs> Meditate, mm-hmm. take a yeah. nap, Center yourself. get ready for the nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I, love the fo- <laughs> I love the fact that you do the video version as well, because then anyone who's just like, oh, but you know, it's time, I could be like, there's a video just listen (laughs) shut up and listen yes so this is a really good time to actually reiterate if you haven't checked out these articles yet you have to uh james writes so eloquently on like and way more eloquently than we can ever portray on this show so like read them first then come listen to us three idiots talk about this stuff (laughs) it's my advice um but james we would love to get to know you a little bit like i just love you to like sort of tell our listeners a bit about you like how you got into D and like when you first heard of tolkien Ugh. oh yes <laughs> so that'd be awesome so i was a lonely little baby nerd when i was growing up in new york city and i had all these i, I actually have i have it here i have the very first role-playing game book that i ever i ever bought which was in the the used section at barnes and noble or no borders Whoa, back when borders wow. was a thing I loved Borders. I used to love <laughs> Charity Room is the Borders. Yeah. Literally, my mom would take me there and leave me there for like, she'd go to other stores. Like, she'd leave me in Borders for like two hours. I'd be like 10 years old and I would just sit in the kids section and read. So, so here is the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 2nd Edition Complete Whoa. Thief's Handbook. Whoa. This is. That. Yeah, this is. What year is this from? Uh, 1990 nothing? 1991. So this would have been published when I was six years old, and then I got it when I was probably like 12, 13, 14, something like that. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, I, so I read this book about all these different dueling thieves guilds and different kinds of thieves with different kinds of specialties and everything, and I didn't have any other D&D books. I just had this thief handbook, and I was just like, wow, this is so cool. I bet all of D&D is exactly like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were lied to. Uh, yeah, you were yeah. lied. 
And then I got and then I got That's the rough. other AD and D books and 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 I got the I got the core book and it was okay I guess and then I got some books about elves and ninjas and then I got the complete book of humanoids eventually. Whoa! This sounds. This sounds rough already. Oh. I believe I do. I nope. This is the complete ninja's handbook. I have that too. Also racist. <laughs> I think it's kind of hard to have anything called complete ninja's handbook and not be racist. racist. Yeah. Like yeah, that name alone, you're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you sure about that? That yeah, a, like I'd yeah. expect that, like even in, in the mar- like in the martial arts section of a bookstore, like written by Ashita Kim or or Haha Lung or mm. you know Frank yeah, Dukes, yeah. one of the one of the ninja fakers. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, it, it draws on that. Um, but yeah, no, this is the complete yeah. book of humanoids, which I got at some point, and I was so excited Ooh, to be so a bird pretty. guy or a giant or an orc. Uh, oh, yeah. man. Plus one strength, minus two charisma. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yeah. Story wow. of my life. Straight up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so you immediately related to their plight. Yeah. I didn't immediately relate to their plight because I think like, like many like many young gamers of color who grew up around a lot of white folks, I, I mean, I, I wasn't even growing up around white folks who would play D&D with me. So it, it was just... It was just me and then the future one percent going to this uh, going to this private school on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Um, so, mm. like, bringing up D and D was not really a thing that I got to do very often. And mm. there were a couple of other nerds in, in the class with me who were like, "Oh yeah, D and D that would be that would be cool." But you know, I never really stopped doing homework, and I would have had to do that in order to actually play D and D with these people. But. <laughs> I think all all the first characters I made were uh, were white dwarves, white elves, white humans, white half elves. All the all the first characters I made were white because there was so much aspirational media around me that made me aspire to the kind of coolness and beauty and grace and elegance that seemed to be associated with whiteness and which in role playing games seemed to be associated with. Uh, I guess uh, races, species that seem to be coded as culturally white. Mm. Mm. I can, I feel that a hundred and ten percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I second that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, if you look at the, if you look at the, I didn't get that you're supposed to photocopy the character sheet, not write on it, like directly in the book. But if you look at, if you look at all of the, all of the characters that I made as a little kid and never, never played in D and D, I think they were, yeah, they were all white. And then when I started actually playing role-playing games, that was in college. And the the first character that I ever the first character that I ever actually role-played in a tabletop role-playing game was black. And mm-hmm. that was I don't think there was like a conceptual thing behind it. We were gonna play Mage the Ascension. And there was a faction in there called the Akashic Brotherhood, who were the Asian-themed faction, and they had a lot of a lot of martial arts and a lot of Eastern religion stuff going on in various responsible and irresponsible ways. But that was also <laughs> when I was getting really, really into the Wu Tang Clan for the first time, and mm. yeah, so so Shaolin was explicit. Yeah, so Shaolin was explicitly one of the factions within the Akashic Brotherhood in Mage the Ascension. And so I looked at that and I was like, well, if there is a Shaolin, that implies that there must also be a Wudang. So 
I made a character who was based on the music of the Wu-Tang Clan and on based on the conceit that the Wu-Tang Clan of Staten Island and the Wu-Tang Clan of the temple complex in China were in fact the same organization. Yes. Yeah. So she had a she had a martial arts style which involved both uh, both boxing and rapping. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Amazing. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So that's so that was my history of getting into D and D as a little kid. I started writing games professionally in I think 2014. I had been bouncing around from bad job to bad job. I'd just gotten my master's degree and I wasn't sure what to do with it. Uh, it was in Eastern classics, whatever that is. And uh, no, it's great books of Japan, China, and India. And that goes great with my equally useless undergraduate degree, which was I had a major in religion, <laughs> focusing on West African oh, wow. and Afro-Atlantic religion. So a lot wow. of uh, oh, wow. a lot of like voodoo and Orisha-based religions throughout uh, various places in Yoruba land and the African diaspora, and. Mm. Uh, then I had minors in dance, focusing mostly on martial arts and North Indian classical dance. And then I, I randomly picked up an English lit minor for by kind of by accident. Uh, <laughs> so I came out of grad school with like, what am I going to do with all of these things? That I've studied all the most useless things in the world. And then I got into writing role playing games. And yes. all of the all of the I felt like all of the assignments that I got, uh, or the uh, I guess a, a lot of the assignments that I got over the beginning of my career were cultural subjects which other uh, other writers felt anxious about going into mm. so uh so i i ended up writing a lot of i think tu- quote-unquote touchy subjects and okay. yeah so writing a lot of that stuff laid the groundwork for me becoming a cultural consultant and starting to work as someone who helps other creatives represent diverse and marginalized identities in their work in an equitable and affirming way. I'm guessing, like, yeah, through that, then obviously you've, you must have been in contact with Tolkien, and then I'm guessing mm-hmm. you kind of... Did you start to just... Did you, did you kind of uh, sort of work it out, uh, like, as a part of that work? Like, did, I mean, did it kind of come to the fore then, or had you already kind of felt the ramifications of Tolkien before that? So, so I read Tolkien for the first time when I was in middle school. I was 11 or 12. I breezed through The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and I didn't get that into it. Those are some slow books. They're, yeah. they're, they're slow. There's a lot of walking oh. and a lot of eating. Yeah. And a lot of leaves and blades like, yeah. of grass and mm-hmm. trees. Don't even get me started on The Silmarillion, man. Yeah. And the songs. So many. I actually, I read. I had read the first two. Uh, I'd read the Hobbit and the the first two Lord of the Rings books prior to seeing the movies. But for whatever reason, I wasn't able to finish. I just never got into Return of the King until after I'd seen the movie, and I was dismayed to discover that in the book version of the Battle of Pelennor Fields, uh, when the Rohirrim ride in, they start singing. Uh, <laughs> in the movie, they just—it's like the most epic fanfare charge. And in the book, they're killing orcs and singing a war song. <laughs> And I was just like, this is such a weird, <sighs> very strange, such weird dissonance yeah. between the two. I'm just like, now that I identify with orcs so much, I'm just, I'm just imagining being out there on a battlefield and like, some dudes with horses and expensive armor are like riding me down and like clapping on the ones and threes as they do it. <laughs> <laughs> on the ones and threes, even. Yes. I love it. I love that. I love uh, that. Stabbing me on the ones and threes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Quickly, get them on the floor. Get them on the floor. Horses <laughs> are doing like a really awkward version it. of the electric slide. Yeah. Oh, oh, like 
<laughs> wedding version of the electricity. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, so, let's stab two times. Bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Oh, yeah. Uh, that okay, that does lightning stab. damage. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> um, so, so I, when did I start researching these? Uh, before, before I started researching, I've always felt really connected to all of the fantasy races that seem to get dealt a bad hand. The ones mm. with stat penalties, the ones that seemed like they would be super not optimal for all of the builds that I wanted to, all the builds that I wanted to make, mm. and because I, because the way that the way that the system reified a sort of it, it's actually no, you know what? It's systemic oppression in a weirdly literal sense, and it's not the same as systemic oppression in the real world. I don't. Like, actually, no, it's okay. I know people are going to take that comment out of context and then complain about it on Reddit. And, like, uh, you, you know, you can have that one. I understand. Like, that's what you need to do with your weekend to unwind. So, <laughs> but it, 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 I, I guess I related to the fact that the system was giving them penalties, you know? Like, the, yeah. like literally, the game system is giving these guys penalties. And I'm like, damn. I'm sorry about that. I wish I could help, but it's really hard because I can't figure out what character class you should be that's not going to get stomped in the first encounter. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so that was that got me thinking about racial coding in uh, in the race system in general and the kinds of words that went into the kinds of words that went into describing all of these different uh, all these different fantasy races. And there was a moment a few years back when this friend of mine, Sanjay, uh, from Queens, New York, was pointing out to me that some of the language used in uh, a certain D&D setting book, I, I think it was the, I think it was the Taldere setting book for uh, the Critical Role uh, ah, setting, yeah. that uh, some of the language that was used to describe orcs and goblins in there was uh, pretty negative and sounded a lot like the language that people use to describe people of color. And Sanjay was mm. talking from a very personal perspective there. And that was that was one of the, the first things that got me thinking about it. And I know that Matt Mercer doesn't use those kinds of terms anymore to describe mm. orcs and goblins and that mm -hmm. his more recent setting material is a departure from some of those some of those older patterns. But yeah. that mm. kind of put the idea in my head and that got me interested in researching where where all of this started and whether Tolkien's invention of orcs had some kind of racial underpinning. And I realized after doing a little bit of research on Tolkien and finding that quote at the first of the at the beginning of the first article, which is about orcs as uh, savage and degraded Mongol types, yes. I realized that mm. there was a there was a history to the language that he was using. And that language and those depictions lined up with ideas which anybody in Tolkien's position in British academia or in the English military would have encountered. The ideas of scientific racism, uh, which gave us the Mongol types or the, the whole idea of Mongoloids and Caucasoids and Negroids and all those other creepy terms. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. also the idea that came out of 
the British Raj and the British military classifying different kinds of South Asians into different ethnic categories with mm-hmm. different like proficiencies. Mm-hmm. Like these ones are proficient yeah. in math and live yeah. in cities, and then these mm-hmm. ones are proficient in violence and are big yeah. and stupid, and yeah. we need to get them to fight for us, or they'll fight for the bad guys instead. So Tolkien could not have avoided those ideas if he was in school in England or in the military. And that gave rise to that to that first article and my discovery that Tolkien originally had Asian people in mind when he created orcs. Uh, I was going to say, that's an idea that I wish that I could have um, encountered years ago, because I remember, this was probably uh, seven or eight years ago, uh, that's when I first heard rumblings of people saying that the orcs in Lord of the Rings were racist, and at the time, I'd never really thought critically about it, so I was thinking like, well, but, but they're they're... I get that, yeah, sure, saying, like, an entire group of people are evil, yeah, that's that's not great, but they're, they were magically made to be mm-hmm. that way, you know, it's an in-universe excuse, uh, mm. and I wish that there would have, <laughs> yeah. I wish that and me from back like, then could I have hear actually that seen so this. Often. Like, I, I hear that so often, yeah, you know, pe- this happens all the time, people are like, oh, you know, in the setting, if you only understood yeah. the setting then you would understand that actually... It's yeah. super It's super annoying because I think, like, I, I, well, I, I made the mistake of looking at uh, one or two of the comments uh, below the article and I saw <laughs> oh, no. someone saying, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's rough, guys. Don't go there. It's a dark and lonely place. But I read in one of those that, you know, like, oh, well, you know, uh, I think someone it was on response to one of your articles and they were saying, oh, but um, if, you read the, if you read the books or whatever, he's clearly saying that orcs aren't, a species they are a like creation of uh, a, like a manifestation of evil and i'm like but you're accentuating the point we've clearly seen it throughout these articles mm-hmm. that there are parallels between them and asians yeah, yeah it's the gif of the guy from the good place being like but that's worse you see how that's worse right yeah yes, yeah exactly. exactly it's like surely like yeah. you you're you're illustrating the point really well here which is that this yeah. is so fucked up <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's like the yeah. same arguments that you hear from people trying to defend uh really really scantily declad scantily clad women in like like hyper sexualized mm. women in video games she's gonna get oh, hurt yeah. like that She's gonna get hurt. Yeah. No one's fighting in. Later. No, no, no. Her fighting style is based on distracting her enemies. Yeah, the, bo- the boob window is how she channels her power. <laughs> Have you spent an afternoon hot in latex? Yeah, it it's, 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 it's like that. Um, it's like the character from uh, My Hero Academia. The one who like can spin oh, fabric God. out of her skin, so of oh, course she has to yeah. have as much skin uncovered as possible. Like the whole thing is like okay, but they're just—it's just a self-justifying system. That's it. it yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. The fact that it's in universe only makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it so much worse. <laughs> right. Yeah, because because what you're saying then is that the setting is reifying ideas which have a racist history in the real world, mm. and saying that this is like it. it I guess one of the one of the comparisons I think I made in the first article was well what if you what if you made up a fantasy species where women really were oversexed and less intelligent mm-hmm. than men and mm-hmm. if you made that up and then you couldn't say like well you know it's it's not me it's this it's in the setting but you made the setting <laughs> I will you punch you in the throat with my fist <laughs> yeah. outside of the setting yeah. and then we'll see what it's like <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. I'm just vexed. I'm already yeah. vexed. Cow. Recording. I'm just so yeah. vexed. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's like, no, man. The, the fact that I just smacked you upside the head makes sense in the setting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? exactly. Yeah. I was yeah. in character. I rolled, a character I rolled a nat 20 to slap yeah. you uh, like a fool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you rolled uh, too long your persuasion roll. Sorry, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it turns Not out your charisma is in the negative, actually, with this one. Like, um, I don't make the game rules, I just enforce yeah, them. I just enforce <laughs> them, exactly. This, this actually does lead me on because um, you uh, really eloquently point out in this article how Tolkien set out to vilify Asian people and then how that kind of has ported over into D&D and encountered other races. But I just kind of wanted to talk a bit, you've kind of, you've alluded to it already, but like um, the real world impl- implications with Lord of the Rings being, you know, what has informed an entire industry in D&D. It has uh, been repeated thousands of times in all walks of fantasy culture. Like, I think that in, in itself speaks to the fact that this is more than just fantasy. This is real world. Like this is people, people are making money out of this. People are, um, you know, it, it informs people's, personalities you know what we choose to do in our spare time all of this kind of stuff so just like really it'd be really interesting to hear uh, from you for our listeners about like why it's so important we don't just think of this as fantasy we really think of this as like this is this has a real world and real societal implications uh, like enforcing these stereotypes or leaving them unchecked even yeah definitely so one of the one of the things that i keep coming back to Whenever anyone argues with me about what Tolkien's thoughts were, what Tolkien's intent were, what Tolkien's true nature was, ultimately, you know, those things don't actually matter. Mm-hmm. If I'm wrong about Tolkien, if I'm wrong and he created all of these things completely by accident and he had only the kindest and most compassionate and most understanding thoughts about Asian people, if he, unlike almost everybody else who lived in his time and came from his background, had only the best of things to think about people from Mongolia and Turkey and China and Japan. And he wrote Mm. these things and he wrote this stuff in this book anyway. That's Mm. still bad because the effects Mm -hmm. that it has on us, on people of color and our experience of fantasy worlds, fantasy literature and fantasy gaming, our experience is still going to be worse. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. hard to it's hard to communicate that, and it's one of the reasons why your podcast about this topic was so important to me because of the way that you expressed a really personal reaction to what was going on. Because one of the hardest things about this topic for a lot of people is that because our reactions to these concepts come from drawing connections between things that happen to us all the time in our personal lives, in our real lives, mm-hmm. when we encounter racists in the mm-hmm. real world. And when we see those ideas and attitudes and that language reflected in gaming and reflected in people's behavior in gaming, that's coming from a place of personal experience. And for many of us, all too often, that personal experience goes to the level of trauma. Yeah. And it's hard to communicate because we would have to communicate every year of our lives and all of the experiences that we've had with racism and all of the instincts that we've developed to detect racism and to detect racists, not before, not once they've actually been racist to us, but before they get the chance. 
Yeah. When they mm-hmm. start using these words that start mm-hmm. to make us worry, when they start to say things about savage savagery and barbarism, when they start to say things about mm-hmm. uncivilized or inhuman, when we start to hear those words and we think, I have to get out of here before this mm-hmm. gets worse and before it becomes personally dangerous to me, that's one of the hardest things to communicate to people. And so when, when they say, oh, but for me... But for me, it's it's just I'm just interacting with this stuff on a purely fantasy level. I'm this isn't personal for me. This is just I'm creating something in a fantasy world, and then I can leave it at the table when I leave. But we can't. Yeah. And we don't know Mm -hmm. when you tell us that if you're if that's really what you think about orcs and that's really your intent, Mm -hmm. or you actually you're saying that and then you actually go home and then you're looking up stuff on Stormfront and listening to Ben Shapiro and so on and so forth. Yeah, We can't tell. Mm -hmm. And generally, the risk is high enough that we don't want to find out whether we're right or wrong. We need to get out of there because it could be much worse. And Mm -hmm. so that's... So that's one of the more, I guess, extreme possibilities for what might happen when we encounter someone in gaming who is pushing all of these ideas. But uh, in another sense... Uh, there's a, a long history in fantasy gaming of fantasy gaming centering white and European experiences. And when mm. experiences of color, perspectives of color, and people of color show up, we we don't get to be seen in our natural form. We get to be... There are analogs of us that obscure our humanity. Like, we appear as orcs with gray or green skin or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or or we're animal people. Like, there's a lot of things where yeah. the race yep. of the race of color are coded as animals, mm-hmm. and you know that's oh, I'm that's I'm like fine. yeah, hundred percent. Like, oh, I remember yeah. being I remember being infinitely more attracted to tabaxi than I was to like uh, elves or, yeah, or, yeah. or, or humans or even. Do you know what right, I mean? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like you Nazis know, tieflings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Tiefling um, like tieflings are great. I'm like. Um, and, and you know, I, I see tieflings in a game, and like based on my own, based on like my own Jewish heritage, it's like no, if there's gonna be, if there's gonna be people with horns, and we're gonna be talking about like mm. demonized people with horns. No, I want to play the tiefling mm-hmm. so that I can control the narrative about uh, mm-hmm. these Jewish something that's Jewish coded. Or mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. a lot of people see uh, dwarves or goblins, and they they do the same thing coming from a Jewish perspective. Like, oh, I gotta, I gotta play this character. I gotta take control of the narrative so that somebody else doesn't turn it into something creepy. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. which is people yeah. are sometimes surprised like you you write all this stuff about orcs why would you want to play an orc and i'm like for the exact same reason that i wrote all this stuff that's why yeah. i want to play an orc because mm-hmm. i want i yeah. need to control the narrative so that nobody takes it and does something i don't like with it um yeah i find myself like really often putting probably put more orcs and like mm-hmm. problematic like the problematic races in the center of my campaigns than anything else purely for that reason just to give them variation and just yeah. to give them yeah. uh like different kind of colorations and do you know what i mean like different yeah. uh yeah. experiences um actually it leads really interestingly onto jeremy your question about coded characters i don't know if you wanted to oh yeah jump in with that um, um yeah. yeah uh um let me can i throw in one more oh, thing one last oh, thing yeah, about the, the yeah, previous yeah, topic yeah, so yeah. so the principle that i want to that i want to come back to with like with the idea of what what kind of danger what kind of bad what kind of bad impact can these things uh something in a game what what exactly can it do because we've we've seen studies about how well violent video games don't make kids violent. Violent video mm-hmm. games don't 
cause people to find to go shoot other people in real life and that's true but the culture that when you have a piece of media and that piece of media expresses culture that's how culture gets shared and passed on that's how we learn mm. culture it's from media it's from stories mm. and yeah. that starts with the fairy tales that we hear as little kids and then it goes on into the media we consume and the media we participate in like that's that's all of it that's where culture lives there and in our hearts so mm -hmm. when it comes to fantasy role-playing um what I don't, what I want to avoid is a situation where if you're a person of color and you sit down at a table, you are forced by default to engage with in-character, in-game analogs of real-world racism as things that are a lot like real-world racism, just they're given another name or they're skinned as this is a fantasy race or this is a magical thing. And for you, because you have these real-world associations, because of course you do, because of racism in the real world, you can't help but make those associations that a lot of people can choose whether they do or don't want to, based on like intellectual or creative uh, criteria. And I want, I want a gaming world where people of color get to decide whether they do or don't want to engage with racism that mm. day. And yeah. if these if orcs are coded as savage and barbaric and uncivilized and every time orcs show up they're this automatically evil race who people are automatically automatically going to slaughter then the onus is put on the person of color sitting down at that table who might not have my professional background who might not have your experience talking about these things on podcasts who might not be able to express it yet who wants to opt out who wants to say hey i don't consent to this but they don't know how to and the weight of the culture of gaming and the default is telling them, no, you got to stay quiet and you got to blend into this culture and you got to kill orcs like everybody else, even if it makes mm -hmm. you uncomfortable, because otherwise you don't get to have fun today or maybe worse. Mm -hmm. That's the situation I want to avoid. Yeah. This HeadGum podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there, and you know what? You can update it with an app, so every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm -hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code headgum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. <sighs>
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Yeah, I grew up. I grew up in a in a, in situations uh, somewhat similar to that. In that, whenever uh, I remember in kindergarten, whenever the kids would get together to play any game, if uh, any like if we're like oh we're gonna be X Men today, uh, I would always have to be like Beast uh, because there weren't any male black X Men. Mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned that on the show before. Uh, and like if there was a black wow. character, I automatically was told that I had yeah, to play yeah. the black character. In Star Wars, I was given the choice. I could be either Lando or Chewbacca, so that one was generous. But yeah. like, it's it tends to pigeonhole you, like psychologically. And it, and I didn't even realize the degree to which it affected me uh, until I saw The Force Awakens in theaters. And the moment when John yeah. Boyega like turned on the lightsaber, I got one of the biggest <laughs> rushes in a- watching any movie that I've ever. I was suddenly like. <gasps> Like like the the full on dolly zoom effect with everything going crazy behind me and I was just like oh my god this is amazing but like that had never I it didn't even occur to me just how deep set that was in my mind I was exactly the same I remember watching I remember what, that was Black Panther for me I remember being mm-hmm. I went I went uh, I was sat in a cinema in like Clapham I think it was. And there were so many black people in that cinema. You were there as well. Yeah, yeah. It really was. It really was. I've never because because I was like I met like black culture really late in my life because I uh, like you were saying I grew up like, around a lot of white people and and I hadn't really experienced a lot of black culture and you know exactly what you're saying there I experienced most of my experience of black culture through uh, games or or anything like that, things like that. Suddenly I was sat in the cinema watching this thing where that culture was being like deified mm-hmm. do you know what i mean it was mm-hmm. like yeah. it was such a celebration yeah. and people were like stood up in the yeah. cinema like like, it, yeah! was like it, was it was so incredible <laughs> it was like a really uh like, amazing experience and i yeah. like genuinely applaud you for your for, for like that vision of gaming because i think that you're absolutely right i remember actually i literally remember this right at the beginning of this podcast i had to go and google it um was that the first time I ever met D and D? Was there was a D and D? I don't know if you remember. There was a D and D board game that came out. Uh, it must have been like early two thousands. Mm. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was very much like there was like set maps and like little figurines and certain mm. monsters that you'd meet. Was it one of the the really big ones? Like the box yeah, yeah, really yeah. It was big. quite a big box. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I remember. So my uh, my friend's dad used to run the game, and I remember my friend's dad told me that I had to play Regdar, who was this barbarian guy, and I remember getting his sheet, and it was this huge black guy. I've literally just remembered this. Like, I've literally... In, I was like, oh my god. Like, Whoa. And as a kid, I was like, cool. I'll be, like, the cool, strong black guy. Like, fine. Mm-hmm. But, like, now I'm like, whoa! <laughs> like, that's so you had some so... other intentions. Yeah, like, wow. Like, now... Because I literally just went and Googled it now, and yeah. the picture comes up, and he's very clearly... Just this big, strong black guy. And I was like, ha, huh, that's why I wasn't allowed to play the ranger or the wizard. Okay, because I remember asking. 
Yeah. This is why I and do kung fu so I can beat up racists. Yeah. yeah. Is, but isn't that isn't that the realest isn't that the realest childhood experience though? Like mm. thinking when when you finally get exposed to a quote unquote positive stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're like, oh, this is good. I can be the positive version of because I have to be a stereotype, obviously. Like yes. that's not even mm-hmm. that that's, that's not going to get questioned, right? <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. You have to be the stereotype, but let's be the positive stereotype. Let's be the model minority. Let's be the magic mm-hmm. negro. Let's be the, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. big tough black brute because yeah. that's that's the best that you can that's the best that you can on, you can hope for. Mm. You're yeah, this brute I, I, because otherwise, like if things just go a little bit wrong, then you're a thug again and. Yeah. yeah, and it's, it and it was one of those things as well where again unintentionally like that game actually had like a coded Asian wizard as well like this female Asian wizard who was like beautiful and really kick ass and whatever and I was like so I actually looking back like that game had great diversity within it but huh. because again the framework of Dungeons and Dragons and the the culture of it was the way it is it meant yeah. that for all any good intentions that they had it still <laughs> meant that black and asian kids were meeting that game and being told they had to play those characters because yeah. that was the only choice they had yeah which is like it's so funny how like counterintuitive that 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 system has then become um yeah yeah, uh, yeah i'll jump in yeah, i'll jump in with my question um which which is yes please. uh you actually already answered part of it because you were talking about how uh, you, the first ever character that you played was a black woman, but uh, I was going to ask because uh, I was originally going to ask: Have you? Do you normally play characters that are uh, either racially different than you or coded racially different from you? But I will also add on to that: um, Do the other people that you play with often play characters that are either racially different from themselves or coded racially different from themselves? And then how do you and or the other people that you play with tend to approach and navigate uh, those characters in that, that process? That's a, that's a really good question. So yes, I almost always play a character who is racially different from me because in most games, it's really difficult to create a character from the Julepines. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Sure>. I have <laughs> uh, I have and, and it always feels really personal like th- there was a there was a kid in a group that I played once who just he came and played a he played a self insert character he was like all right I'm going to play this kid and he's half korean and half black and I'm like okay you're half korean half black so this character he's like yeah it's basically just me pretty much and I'm like wow I've never seen anybody do that who's multiracial actually <laughs> play like their actual multiracial like their exact multiracial mix actually in a game mm-hmm. I I applaud this yeah awesome. I was I just like this. wow I, I've never seen this before like multiracial what a novel idea yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think I think multi people especially have this the, the, this sort of natural sense of like being a cultural chameleon and like, Oh, okay. You think I'm Hispanic today? Okay. I guess we're, we're doing that. All right. <laughs> yep. Um, I feel you on that one. Yeah. I get told I look Mexican all the time and I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> really? Like, have you like, seen which, me? Which whenever, whenever people say that, like, what do they think you're, yeah. What yeah, are you what, like? What response do they think? Like, where do you, where do they think the conversation's going to go after that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not. Yeah. Cool. Like what am I gonna? What are you gonna uh, say to that? Olay? I like put on a sombrero. Like what? <laughs> Let me get my maracas. Sorry, I left them at home. How stupid yeah. of me! Like... <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Carry on. So so yes, I I usually play characters who who are not from the Julepines, and for me that well I GM a lot. Also, I think I GM more than I more than I 
play a PC these days. And in that, in the GM role, of course, I'm playing as characters of every different ethnicity. Because uh, mm-hmm. sometimes, uh, if I'm playing, you know, a modern game. Um, mm. But yeah, if I play a game set, like, in an urban fantasy setting, if we're doing, like, vampire or something like that, then of course, like, every, lots and lots of characters are going to be not, not my ethnicity in the real world. Mm. Um, so there's another article that I have, I think it came out right after the first Orctical, uh, called May I Play a Character from Another Race? Mm-hmm. And it is about exactly this topic. So it's it's aimed at people who are um, who are trying to learn to play characters of a different ethnicity, different cultural background in a way that is respectful. And so, so this article presents sort of like a multi-step process for kind of teaching yourself how to do that. Because definitely when I started playing, like the first few black characters that I played, um, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes and I did a lot of things which were cultural stereotypes, which I later realized weren't cool. And I had to revise how I played that character and revise how like the kinds of like uh, choices that I made with like voice and accent and characterization and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a lot of the all of the mistakes that I talk about in this article about you know how to or how not to play characters of another race, those are all things that I got wrong when I started playing because I. A, because I knew less about the world and didn't have the kind of personal and professional experience that I have now, and B, because it was really easy to, because I feel yeah. like a lot of the role-playing game books that I had were setting me up for failure. Yeah. And they were they were buying into and repeating stereotypes and exotification and orientalism and all of that stuff in a way that made it easy for people to trip and fall into racist behaviors at the table, even though they themselves in the real world were not particularly more racist than anybody else. Mm-hmm. So this is the this is the other thing that I that I try to push when I'm doing cultural consulting is the idea that yeah you're not trying to be racist the player's not trying to be racist nobody's trying to be racist but if you make certain choices creatively that set people up to be racist by accident, it still hurts people. And yes. that's not fair to anybody. It's not fair to the mm-hmm. person who's sitting and playing their character trying not to be racist, and it's not fair to the person who they hurt, who doesn't know or care what that person's intent is. They still get hurt. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I do that a lot. The people around me... I'd say that a lot of the people in my personal circles do play characters of really diverse backgrounds. And I don't know, I guess that's that's kind of self-selecting because you know, I know a lot of people who do cultural consulting not just sure. from not just from like a racial perspective but also talking about queer identity or disability, all types of that yeah. stuff. And so a lot of them uh like to do that same stuff and also nowadays games are coming out which are aimed at teaching you how to do that so we're seeing games like Cleo Yunsu Davis's uh The Long Drive Back from Busan where it's a it's a LARP where everyone plays the members of a struggling k-pop boy band (laughs) (laughs) and you're you're on the rocks you're 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 the record company uh, is not happy with you and you got this one music festival left and if you wow. mess this up you're done and you all have to like go back to normal life or join the military or whatever oh, and <laughs> so you play the bus drive down to down to Busan to play this festival and then you roll to see what happens and then you play the bus drive back oh, and man. it wow. has so there's instructions in there on how to and how not to play a Korean character and they're great 
They're awesome. I bring I refer I reference them as often as possible. But long drive back from Busan, it's great for that. And then one of my most recent cultural consulting assignments was on Jiangsha Blood in the Banquet Hall, which is a game where you play uh, a Chinese family, uh, usually in North America, who are running a Chinese restaurant in like the 1920s or 1930s. And during the day, you have to serve people food and keep the restaurant running and fight off racists. And then at night, (laughs) you get hopping vampire attacks. And once you're exhausted and stressed out from, you know, serve like... Uh, fighting with the racist cops all day, then the hopping vampires start attacking, and then you have to. I was going to say it was more tiring, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> like I think yeah. I pick the vampires. <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. yep. That is yeah, exactly like... that is exactly <laughs> the effect that it had. Like the first time I played, I was like at the end of my first day, I was just like so exhausted. I was like vampires, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> the racists went to sleep, man. Are the vampires yeah. racist, or are they actually surprisingly sometimes, progressive? Some, sometimes they are. <laughs> sometimes oh, no. they sometimes they are it, it, it depends on the vampire but they come in like um, we used to avoid these kinds of establishments but uh we decided that that was actually a problem in and of itself so we've decided to just attack everyone equally uh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the vampires don't see color you know, except for literally i see heat yeah. i see heat vision it's infrared yes I'm yeah 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 like i'm a predator yeah you snack yeah <laughs> So for that for that game, um, I, I say I'll I'll be talking about this for the rest of my life. The the creators are are Chinese, Sanfeng Lim and Banana Chan. They're Chinese Canadian, but they asked me to write a section on how to play a Chinese character, because uh, I've done it before. And I'm not Chinese; I'm Filipino. But so I still had a really good time writing that. And uh, so I, I essentially wrote in this particular game because the assumption is you're playing as a chinese family and the game is already full of chinese signifiers that are safe to interact with because they were created by chinese people for you to play with it's sort of easy in this context to play a chinese character because all you have to do is not try sure yeah (laughs) if you just play a character and they have a chinese name and they're working in a chinese restaurant making chinese food listening to chinese music and fighting off racists who don't like chinese people then yeah. uh, you're probably gonna have a pretty chinese experience even if you <laughs> don't think about anything except for your character's hobbies and strengths and weaknesses yeah you don't have that's, to try. So, that's so awesome i yeah. love that yeah. yeah exactly yeah. you're right the framework if we can if we can if the framework is right then you mm-hmm. you don't need to worry about the rest of the stuff like it should take care of itself because actually we're all human oh my goodness like, we're actually people yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. Like with people, yeah. like, with a range of experiences that both do and don't have to do with our ethnicity. Oh wow! wow. Never, never, never. That never occurred to me. Wow! <laughs> wow! For the first time, I realized that I'm a, a fully three-dimensional human being. I hadn't wow. clocked it before. I hadn't yeah. actually clocked it before. But yeah. now, this has been a real revelation yeah. for me, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but in a game like in a game like D and D or Vampire, where it's not loaded with safe cultural signifiers to interact with in the same way. I mean, unless you want to be like a fantasy Viking or something like that, um, Mm. or like a weird fantasy Druid. That's nothing like an actual Celtic Druid. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. 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 The game isn't doing you any favors. So if you want to play a character who's culturally Chinese or culturally from, you know, Tianxia or whatever your game calls China, or the China analog, you got to do some work, and it's difficult. Yeah, and and I think that you you've nailed it so uh, so well. And something that I've never really considered is is the fact that like 
I don't want to do that work. I'm tired as it is. You know, I'm tired of dealing with the stuff in the real life. This game ostensibly is for escapism. That's the reason that we love it. So if then I have to escape into more of this same bullshit, then it's it's yeah. just mm-hmm. it's just exhausting. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm so there. It's I'm funny so that it's funny that, that you also, mentioned really the. Uh, that game. Oh, sorry. I want to play the long drive back to Bruce. <laughs> we need to we need to play it's both free. of these games. That, it's free on the Golden Cobra website. I think, website. I think this is basically yeah. James offering to DM. That get for that. Brush. That's, what That's what it is, right? That's all oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah, in a second. Oh, well, we've heard it here, guys. That would be yeah. unreal. I'd love that so much. <laughs> I, like being a K-pop coming band. this summer. Yeah, <laughs> the three black carflings are a K-pop band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Glad you actually mentioned uh, the, the the game's depiction of Celtic druids is nothing like, or excuse me, druids is nothing like actual right. Celtic druids because uh, one of my players. Um, is uh, un- uh, is of northern Italian descent, and she's really interested in the history of the Celtic people in that region and of druids in general. And so the- when she started playing a druid, and she comes from like this actual druid commune, I like I went and did some research as to like the outfits, like the clothes that actual uh, druids used to wear and what the different colors used to signify. Um, and it ended up becoming, I think it ended up, she really ended up appreciating it a lot that like they, that it, it reflected the, the reality, but it ended up being several hours additional of research. Mm-hmm. As you said, it can be a very tiring process to try and include this kind of stuff into a framework mm-hmm. like that, that doesn't already allow for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And one thing that I, one thing that I try to make sure happens when I do cultural consulting is if a game wants to do a fantasy or fictionalized version of something in the real world, that's fine. But what I want to avoid is the situation where someone comes into a game with real world understanding of a concept and they get really excited about the real world version of that concept. And then when they try to engage with it in the game, people have to tell them, oh no, your real world context for this which might be personal which might be from your life or your family like maybe your family has celtic connections and is really into the idea of the druids as these like religious and political figures or maybe you're like if you're japanese and you want to play legend of the five rings and you have this idea of what a shugenja is based on your family's own history with shingon buddhism in uh, historical iga province and then you come into the game and they got to tell you oh no a, uh, a Shugenja is something else in this game, and we have to tell you that your real-world experience is wrong. Wrong, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it's, you know, when you set up that situation through the design of a game, it, it just creates awkward situations and uncomfortable mm-hmm. situations and mm. uh, dysphoric situations. Yeah. And then, you know, when that happens in the game, it's not really anybody's fault. No one's trying to hurt anybody. But it's still it's still awkward mm. and that's just the beginning of the problems that that can stand to cause yeah and I, and it puts the like the dms as well in like a really awkward situation where like how do you negotiate that situation where like mm. it's coded into the game you know to be a certain way i think i think some of the, a lot of the feedback we've got is from like white dms who have said like mm. Thank you so much because there's so many pitfalls. There is actually so many pitfalls coded into this game. It's really difficult to avoid this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes, um, and I think that's that's mm-hmm. really interesting. It's like the fact that we actually need to change the the coding of the game more than like the, maybe perhaps the way we play it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because actually I, I was really interested just generally in your cultural consulting that you do because you I was looking at your website you've, you've culturally consulted on so many uh, uh, amazing games like you did oh, um, yeah. like uh, um, uh, Monster Hearts I'm a massive I really love Monster Hearts oh yeah I think it's, it's so oh, I love it um, yeah. but I just sort of wanted to unpack that a little bit more um, in the like what excites you as a like as a as a game maker or as a cultural consultant like now like what's the like the stories that you got like I want to tell that next we haven't done that or we haven't explored that uh, I just yeah so yeah so I love cultural consulting because I love to collaborate and I I'm not the like do lonely fun alone in my room and come up with my own story all by myself and then share it to people kind of creator to me that that feels that feels like when I was a little kid and I had D&D books and nobody to play them with and Mm. I don't Mm. that's not my favorite way to create I like to collaborate with other people and I like to work together with other people and cultural consulting for me is great like that and it's really fun because I can help other people realize their visions and uh, that feels that feels really really good and it's really satisfying for me emotionally to see someone journey from a place of fear and uncertainty when they start to engage with an idea um, and uh, for me to be able to help them until they get to a point where they feel confident and happy and safe with an idea that once scared them because it had to do with ethnic coding. Um, so uh, as a cultural consultant, I think the things that are most interesting to me, so I do a lot of like one-on-one level stuff, a lot of stuff about really basic things about like, so these are a bunch of stereotypes that you want to avoid. Um, sure. These all of the the kind of surface level one on one level just don't do these basic things and represent people uh, sort of as people and then you'll be fine and then the the next level which I get to do a little bit less often is helping people represent something real or something interesting about a culture that doesn't often get to see airtime um, mm-hmm. you know martial arts mm. from continents that aren't Asia or. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, music from outside of like the American mainstream, those those kinds of things, getting those yeah. mm-hmm. little details, those little signifiers in where someone from that culture might might see that in the game and be like, oh, hey, that's that thing from my culture that I thought nobody ever made any art about. But there it is. Yeah. Um, and and mm-hmm. so that those are the two levels on which I usually get to work. But where where I'm really excited to go uh, where I don't get to go very often is into places of complexity, um, it, situations like the Wu Tang Clan, right? Mm-hmm. So the Wu Tang Clan is really mm-hmm. fascinating because a lot of so um, to understand the Wu Tang Clan, if, if any of the listeners, if any of our listeners don't uh, listen to Wu Tang, imagine if you and all of your really, really, really talented friends started LARPing in 1989. And just never stopped, ever, not even for a second, not to eat, sleep, breathe, or talk to anybody else. So so each of the nine members of the Wu-Tang Clan has several characters who they play in the world and on rap albums and presumably in their own personal lives. I just, I just always imagine that they just kind of never turn it off. Um, so uh, each member of the Wu-Tang Clan has a Chinese martial arts wuxia persona. They have... A, an Italian gangster persona. They have a superhero persona. They have all of these different personae, which are, are part of mm-hmm. their their public expression and part of their art. And uh, some of those, 
uh, some of those uh, characters involve a lot of, especially like in the early history of the Wu-Tang Clan, what we would consider to be cultural appropriation. Mm. And that's really mm. complicated because it's different, I think, mm-hmm. when, uh, when nine black men from, uh, from the inner city in New York City coming out of the 1970s and the 1980s and some of uh like the united states government and like systemic oppressions like worst crimes uh in the modern world against black folks uh coming out of that context when they appropriate culture from chinese people and from hong kong cinema the dynamics are different in that situation than Mm -hmm. if like rich white people are doing it yeah (laughs) and there's it's yeah, it was right. what they grew up with. It was like yeah. stuff they were fans yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Kids. And it still stands to cause harm to Asian people in the real world. And they're still doing stuff that I would consider racist or I would consider might be harmful to Asian people. But it's also, like, also a lot of good things have happened to it. Like, good music has been made. Like, actual connections have been mm-hmm. forged between black and Asian American culture. And the Wu-Tang Clan is really important to a lot of Asian people, such as myself. And that situation is complicated. And there's a lot of harm and back and forth. And uh, it's really difficult to unpack. And those are the situations that I think I'm most interested to get into as a cultural consultant. These situations of, like, complex cultural exchange. Or, uh, yeah, because that's what, like, really, really tests my abilities. And whenever I get... uh, I have an article up on the up on the website about cultural appropriation and how to change your conversations about cultural appropriation. And the thing I'm always trying to get people away from is trying to come up with blanket categories about what is and is not cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that never works. And I think that trying to get these preconceived ideas about cultural appropriation into your head and then stick to them no matter what happens or what life throws at you is setting yourself up for failure because you're failing to adapt. So, um, and especially this is true when it comes to situations like uh, the Wu-Tang Clan adopting Chinese culture or uh, the legends of Hercules coming out of uh, Greece and Rome, Heracles, I guess I should say, and crossing the, crossing the whole the Indo-Aryan world until they brushed up with Buddhism in northwestern India and Afghanistan and places like that and then influenced buddhist stories such that now all of these all of these buddhist deities and guardian gods are jacked like heracles and heracles shows up in some like indian buddhist stories as a hero and as a follower of the buddha like that's really really interesting yeah or like looking at south asian culture uh, appearing in southeast asia and coming via traders and conquerors and all kinds of different sources to places like the Philippines and Indonesia and seeing uh, those regions, uh, new takes on Hindu stories and Hindu religions. So those, those places of complex cultural exchange um, where there's a lot of help and harm going on on both sides and it's difficult and sticky and hard to unpack, those are the things that I'm most excited about as a cultural consultant.
I, to- mm. I, I totally feel like you need to make like a Genghis Khan setting now where like oh, yeah. you see yeah. like what you talked about in the articles where it's like how they just embraced like other cultures and religions. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I feel like that would be like the perfect like boiling pot for that setting. Oh, like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, like yeah. Uh, yeah, that you should definitely do that. Like a, that would be a, an amazing, uh, a really interesting as well. Because that was one of the things really up for me. Like just... I was so surprised just how bad. Like, I knew it was bad. I knew in uh-huh. the West we are terrible at telling history and telling it from a sort of very mm-hmm. singular point of view. Yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Colonizer. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Liars, but, but, a lot of you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm joking. I love you, Jasper. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, I didn't colonize like, anything. <laughs> I yeah, was, was going to say. I was part of the colonization. <laughs> I'll have you. Yeah. Um, but but that it, it's so fascinating and like uh, Chekhov's calm was like a huge one for me because I sat there just like, whoa! I need yeah. to like check myself. I need to go away read some stuff. Yeah. Uh, like wow. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, yeah, and that's really complicated because yeah, Genghis Khan was uh, he was a colonizer. I think it's pretty mm, safe yeah, to say that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, but he was in that he was in that weird situation where like he spent you know he spends half his life colonizing people and like burning cities down and like. Uh, and then he spends the last half like, okay, well, uh, I've conquered a lot of stuff. I think I'm going to do religion and uh, respect all these. <laughs> if there's any people left in this country, I'm yeah. going <laughs> to ask them about their ideas about religion. And I'm sure they're going to be very polite to me because uh, I don't think they want to find out what, what, I, what might happen otherwise. That is a story arc if ever I've heard yeah, one. Like, uh, yeah. a Top full 10 anime arc. redemption arcs. Yeah, yeah. yeah literally. <laughs> literally. Um, yeah. If we have time, I did have one more question. Actually, I have two, but I don't know if we're going to have bo- time for both. The one that really related to what you were just saying, James, um, you were talking about uh, cultural appropriation in media and how sometimes it can be unintentional and there's all kinds of pitfalls. One mm-hmm. case of, uh, I think, it was rece- it was widely received as a racist depiction, but was... Uh, the, the case I'm talking about is the case of Jar Jar Binks, in which Ahmed mm. Best oh. attempted to depict what he felt was his own heritage in uh, in the context of a story that really didn't seem to care about his heritage. Uh, and, I mean, Star Wars has all kinds of issues with racial stereotypes mm-hmm. throughout its history, especially in that movie. Uh, but he ended up getting blasted for essentially a, d- people claimed that he was depicting a racial a racist stereotype when from his perspective he was trying to represent a culture that he identified with and loved and it was very uh, hurtful for him but I'm curious what you how you feel about that whole situation so uh, I will confess I've never made it through episode one <laughs> I, got, I, 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 could, I did yeah. like five minutes and I was like I need to stop now Um, (laughs) that is a normal reaction to have (laughs) yeah but i think that i think that this situation highlights the importance of context and scaffolding and Mm. awareness of the systems and the the surroundings of what you're doing because uh, yeah i don't i would never fault i'm at best for this i would absolutely fault george lucas and whoever else was creating the structures around ahmed best which Mm took what for him was an expression of culture and recontextualized it as this guy is this silly racial stereotype that's yeah. impossible to respect that has no dignity me mm. to do a silly voice basically yeah. <laughs> like that's exactly. what it made him into like yeah. uh, something you could sell a toy or whatever you know mm. yeah yeah and i remember there was there was a moment in the mandalorian where uh, uh bill burr's character is mm-hmm. uh trying to is trying to 
um, upset the Mandalorian and saying, "Hey, what, what does he look like under the what does he look like under the uh, under the helmet?" And he started he started doing an Ahmed Best voice, mm. and he started he was like, "Oh, maybe he's a Gungan underneath the helmet." Yeah. And he started doing this this like racist thing to try to get a rise out of the Mandalorian. And that that moment, I just like froze watching, and I was like, "This is so real." Like this feels like yeah. this feels like when people are like racist on Battle.net, you know, sure. or like racist on voice chat on Xbox. It's like that yeah. kind of like I don't yeah. even know whether you're black, but I'm still gonna call you the N word because I'm I'm yep. committed to my racist bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I that moment really resonated with me, right? As like, wow, okay, so we've had there's been like a cultural set and shift, and then you're reacting to like this thing about Gungans. The fact that like there's this racist idea about Gungans, and it's not Gungans' fault, right? It's yeah. like other people interpreting Gungans. Um, so, so yeah, I guess the the takeaway for me there is don't just look at your expression. Look at the context around your expression. Look at who's going to be repeating it, who's going to be supporting it, and who's going to be in the background when you express something because mm. no no word means something out of the context of human history and human experience um That's... and this isn't this isn't uh i'm not saying this to to like fault ahmed best i think he made all of the right choices given the like uh, given the bad position he was put in um but i am saying to a creator when you're making stuff don't just think well ahmed De- ahmed best is doing his best and pun intended so <laughs> of course it's gonna be fine <laughs> Think also about like how you're setting people up. Yeah, don't yeah. just rely on the yeah. person of color to bring the the culture to some like their yeah. culture yeah. to exactly. something. Exactly, like, because they they like, can't do it all themselves. More. Yeah, you've got to do more. And also, I guess just be aware of how what you're doing may be received. It's what happened to Dave Chappelle. That's why that's mm-hmm. partly why he left his show is because yeah. he realized his audience was receiving his show very differently than how he intended it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and this this actually this brings me onto something as well, just because when you're then inside something and you're the sort of gatekeepers are white i had a question written down here was like how do we as minority voices then get to a point where we're the gatekeepers and we can start making those frameworks because i feel like that's the difficulty now is that ostensibly for dungeons and dragons and for loads of other sections of of fantasy culture the gatekeepers and the sort of pillars uh uh, where sort of the uh, the everything trickles down from are still ostensibly white and therefore it's still very difficult for mm-hmm. us to change the framework i guess that's what you're doing with cultural consulting but mm-hmm. i don't know like yeah wh- what could we do <laughs> so uh so from from my perspective um so as a cultural consultant i work sort of on both sides of things right i work uh, my my historically my main focus has been on media and on the media that people are creating as opposed to on the cultures that people uh people have at work and the cultures around uh the creation of things but that's also starting to change um i i gave a presentation uh, at the beginning of this year at Wizards of the Coast. Uh, that was really fun. And that was mostly focused on uh, cultural consulting as content. But I was uh, I was invited there by the Wizards of Color group, which is a special interest group at Wizards of the Coast, which was created to uh, support people of color uh, working there. And mm-hmm. I mean, Wizards of the Coast, it's as a company at the highest levels, it's still mostly like older, white and male. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And in order to change that, we're going to have to take 
it's going to be a long time working our way up. We're going to have to fight against these codes of professionalism um, that were established by not our culture. Um, and we're going to have to take risks and make noise. And we're going to have to be the ones that people see as, you know, rebellious, uppity, uh, rocking the boat, all these, all these terms that people created to marginalize when people of color assert themselves. Um, the same way that uh, people use, you know, bossy to marginalize uh, ambitious women, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I will be your um, sassy black friend. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's okay. Yeah. And then you won't like it. Yeah. It. But you have to accept it. That's it. You have to accept it. You thought you wanted a sassy black friend. Now you have one. Mm. Yeah, deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Another, another finger on the, the racial, the racist monkey's paw closes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that was good. That was good, oh, Jeremy. Yeah. Inspiration yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. That was actually, uh, I feel like that was a really lovely little kind of like yeah. uh, uh, sort of inspiring message, I guess, that we're going to, we just, we have to get noisy. We have to get slightly yeah. uh, and not be afraid and not be ashamed. It was one of the genuine reasons why I had. I wanted to bring this show together because I knew that these two would be anything but quiet <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. and, you know, whatever in their opinions and their assertions. And they, you know, like, it's the gift they've given me. I've definitely been a lot more outspoken since yeah. doing this show with them and, like, talking yeah. to you as well. It's just been excellent. Um, yeah, uh, just, amazing. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta keep making noise. We gotta keep making stuff. We gotta, we gotta take every opportunity to, every opportunity to be ourselves and to create stuff that we've seen that comes from our perspective. Yeah, that's because oh, I love that. Yeah, and it's gonna it's gonna make everything easier. It's gonna make everything easier for everybody. And when when the other people in the community, um, when when white folks see all of this stuff, and when when white folks one day in my, this imaginary future are surrounded by good examples, mm -hmm. then they won't have to be as afraid of engaging with culture of color because they'll have a stronger background in it because it's stuff that we've made and that yeah. we've shared with them and that's why that's why it's important to make games also where everybody plays a person of color that's why yeah. it's important mm -hmm. to play games where the game assumes you're going to be queer that's why it's important yeah. to yeah. to play games where uh that's important to play games where disabled people get to be action heroes also yeah yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. where you're you know to mm. talk to what's been going on this past week where your real where your wheelchair can go in the dungeon yeah right? yeah Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. The game's yeah. got dragons. I think With we can have dragons, guys. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, absolutely. Um, honestly, James, I feel like we could chat to you for hours. This is <laughs> yeah. like so good. Mm. I'm really loving this. Yeah. But I, I have to, um, I have to ask. We have this bit of a thing on the show where we tell these tales from the table. Um, you might have heard one or two. Where basically we just tell something that's either really silly or ridiculous that's happened. Um, just something that like springs to mind. I don't know if you have an example of a tale yeah. from the table. Uh, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> yeah. So there was there was a group of teenagers who I played games with for years and years, and uh, we were playing a game that I designed called Afro Future. And Afrofuture is about funk-powered culture heroes from the Parliament Funkadelic Mothership uh, oh, fighting great. back against the man across space and time. And oh, so the, the, way that that, the way that that is expressed is that the Mothership deploys 
you know, these heroes with star shades and bop guns to <laughs> other role-playing games to fight against <laughs> social justice problems in those role-playing games. What? Yes! <laughs> oh my god, I love this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it's inspired by by the Parliament, Funk- the Parliament Funkadelic mythology and Janelle Monáe's Metropolis mm. Suites and it works like oh. that. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So these kids were, they were in... Uh, they were invading Tenrobansho Zero, the Japanese role-playing game, to mm-hmm. address issues of uh, like indigenous representation in that game. Because there's a there's a fantasy race in Tenrobansho Zero which is analogous to the Ainu, the indigenous people of northern Japan, mm-hmm. and the it's the portrayal in this game. It's one of those like I can tell you're trying, but I'm really not sure you're succeeding situations. Mm-hmm. And the kids were really interested in that concept, so um, so they they send their characters into this game, and they're trying to. It, it turns out that the man has also infiltrated the game and is uh, creating sort of an intersectional problem where he's pitting two marginalized populations against each other. Because there's mm-hmm. also a population in this game of these sort of living dolls called kugutsu, which are kind of like a heavy-handed a little bit ham-handed analogy for like trafficking um Mm. yeah it's Mm. another like complex like definitely trying not sure you're totally succeeding situation so Mm. uh in this Mm. game they had encountered uh some members of that population um who and so the man was pitting these two groups against each other and manipulating them so they Mm. they found a few members of that population who they wanted to get to safety and so they're like all right well we're going to teleport them uh, using the powers of Funkin' Teleki onto the mothership. And I was like, well, I'm not sure that's going to work because um, the mothership isn't a real place. It's a cultural construct. And you can only you can only go to the mothership. So the, the rule for character creation in this game is you can play any character who has a song about them in the real world. <laughs> because that, is, that establishes that you're a culture hero. Amazing. Um, yeah, so... Um, so, you know, people play as, like, Mulan or Stagger Lee or, um, yes. you know, Sherazad, yeah. all of these all of these culture heroes who have all these songs about them. And, you know, technicalities awesome. count. I can't stop you from playing Sailor Moon or Batman. Um, <laughs> but, yes. <laughs> um, so so they, they've made these characters, and I'm like, I, I, you're not going to be able to bring them onto the mothership because they're not culture heroes. There isn't a song about these characters yet. Mm-hmm. And the kids look at each other they look at me and they look at each other and one of them's like all right i'll write i'll write a chord progression and i'm like <laughs> yeah what did you say and they're like so so the next session like it, instead of just playing their characters they sit down and they composed played and recorded what? a song about these characters so that i would let them move the characters to the mothership That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I yeah. applaud these kids. That is unreal. That is yeah. unreal. If that if that is not the reason that we play ro- like 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 tabletop role playing games, <laughs> I don't know what is. Because yeah. where else could you do that? Like yeah. where else do you have the freedom to play and to do, like, that is a that is glorious. That Thank is you. Glorious. Yeah. yeah. It was the it was the same group with that that kid who I mentioned who made a character who was like, yep, this is this black Korean kid from New York who's basically Fantastic. me. Same group. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, uh, I, I like. Uh, I there is. 
so many like amazing settings that I am now like desperate to play. Like I feel like I'm gonna have to like just bin off we'll Five E for we'll a bit and just yeah. I think we should definitely <laughs> make that happen uh, in a in a future episode or something because we would yeah. Like that sounds that like that setting is speaking all kinds of languages to me. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, I can already feel uh, Jeremy just bopping the entire time. <laughs> like, yeah. We uh, we want the fun. Yeah, yeah we is, is we, the bottom line. We want the fun. We, we need the fun. We, we gotta have it. that fun. <laughs> we gotta. We gotta need it. Right. Well, uh, some, so sometime in the future we will, or we will make a time to tear the roof off the mother sucker. Yes. Yes. yes! Um. Um, turn this mother out <laughs> uh, and on that note uh, James uh, Mendes Hodes thank you so much for being on Three Black Halflings this has thank been you for having me this unreal uh, thank you so much for chatting to us uh, where can we find you on the internet if you want our Definitely. listeners to find you and chat to you and yeah. stuff uh, so, where can uh, we find you yeah so jamesmendeshodes.com that's where I put all my essays uh, if you want to give me money so that I can continue making essays patreon.com slash <laughs> yes patreon.com slash mndz um, awesome. If you want to, if you want to tell me I'm the real racist, the most popular place to do that is Twitter. So <laughs> <Okay>. twitter.com, twitter.com/slash <laughs> lulavampiro, and we can we'll put a social media link in the in the description here. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely, if you want to tell me I'm the real racist, that is that is the best place to do it. I, I, but, I am told. But based be on, prepared. Based on the evidence. <laughs> be prepared if you do that i will be i will be coming after you with everything that i have on the free black halflings nice. twitter like yes. we will be unati will will access her vast resources and <laughs> <Yes. networks. laughs> yeah and she will yeah and it'll be the last thing you yeah, ever absolutely. do thing, absolutely uh unreal james Seriously, thank you no so tricks. much I'm not going yeah to jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Thank you. Uh, but that was unreal. Uh, uh, really, really amazing to talk to you. I feel like we we're gonna have to do another episode at some point because there's so much to talk about. Um, so that has been another episode of Three Black Halflings. Um, you know where to find James. Go find him. Uh, go give him some money on Patreon. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye. Peace. Bye. I will punch you in the throat with my fist outside of the setting and then we'll see what it's like. Nah? <laughs>